Motorcycles and Misfits here at the Recycle Garage in sunny Santa Cruz, California. Hey, hey, the sun has returned, thankfully. Oh, yes. It was gone for all of, I don't know, a day or two. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Nobody has any sympathy for us. Hey, everyone. This is Eliza. And in the room today, we've got Jim. Hey, hey. What's happening? This is our special episode from the Quail Motorcycle Gathering that we went to uh, last weekend in Carmel, California. For those that don't know, the Quail is actually a, it's a fascinating show. It's a concourse de elegance. I believe it's the only one for motorcycles in the U.S. Um, the history goes back. This is the 11th year of the Quail. And before that, they had three years of another event also in the area called Legends of the Motorcycle. And that came out of the art of the motorcycle, the Guggenheim exhibit. That's what the lineage is of this whole thing. Uh, For many people are probably familiar with the art of the motorcycle. Guggenheim exhibit, first time really showing motorcycles as art. And not just a certain era. It was all eras, including vintage to modern. And it was uh, beautifully done. And I think it changed a lot of people's perspective about design and motorcycles. Yeah, you know, it's funny, just the history of the show uh, isn't the only nexus between the Guggenheim um, Art of the Motorcycle and the event. Uh, We can talk about that later. One of the things that Quail also, I think, represents to me, at least, I think others, it's kind of the beginning of the motorcycling season here. You know, spring's in the air. We just had the super bloom. It's beautiful. You know, we've, we've had some nice riding weather for the last few weeks, but it really seems to kick off the motorcycle season for us here in Northern California. Yeah, it's it's such a great event. And so it's bikes on display on a golf course. Driving range. Dri- yeah, yeah, driving range. And a lot of the owners or restorers are nearby, sometimes just sitting in a camping chair nearby. And they'd love to talk to you about it. And that's another thing that's great about this that's uh, different from like a museum exhibit is that the people, to me, are the true, true gift here. I, I, I mean, I browse through a lot of the bikes, but it's the people that I meet and talk to and the stories. Yeah, it's an easy event to meet people at because um, it's not very crowded. Uh, you can walk around. It's a very local scene. And fortunately for us, as, as listeners know, we have a very rich motorcycle community here. Mm, yes, we do. And this is one of the events. It seems like a lot of the, some of the older guys that were real pioneers in a lot of ways maybe don't make the rounds like they used to, but a lot of them still come to the quail. And like Liza mentioned, it's very accessible. Yeah. And I think, uh, Rob Dingman himself said, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a hall of famer. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. And they're all approachable. Speaking of approachable, I approached Malcolm Smith, one of my riding heroes. He was being honored by the AMA with a lifetime achievement award. Um, and, what I mean, what an amazing guy. Yeah, I mean, that's like Mr. Motorcycle Guy right there. I mean, there's a lot of great riders and versatile riders, but when you think of some of the greats in a number of ways, you know, Malcolm Smith comes to mind not only his riding ability, but the amount of people that he introduced and shared the passion of what motorcycling can be, obviously, through on any Sunday. Right. And just to 
set the image for people. It's uh, on a driving range. You have bikes all throughout the middle. And then around the whole outside are vendors. And you have a lot of vendors there. Some people like selling gloves, um, gear. Uh, but also you have, like, the AMA has a booth or Mike Corbin is or, there. Or people selling $80,000 prototype electric motorcycles motorcycles are there uh the the harley live wire was there and it was on a uh, rolling like, machine so you can get on it and like a dyno kind of setup, yeah, yeah like a dyno um and it's really it's really amazing and you got you got barn find bikes you got perfectly restored bikes you got new custom bikes you got innovative bikes you got scooters you got choppers you got new indians it's it's everything and it truly to me encompasses the passion for all things two wheels oh yeah it does it runs the gamut so it's not just all super clean showy bikes um although there were a lot of really super clean showy uh cb750s so every year there's a theme to the show or or multiple themes really and the big spotlight this year was on the history of the cb750 yeah and all different types there were pristine stock ones but there were also modified or race bikes also the breath superiors were featured 100 years of the bra so that was the the thing it was 50 years for the cb and then 100 years for the bra superior so yeah right. a lot of beautiful examples of that as well well as i said i i look forward to this event every year especially for all the people that are going to be there and another thing we mentioned um when you're going around to the booths and meeting some of these people and talking to them about their products or their company you're usually talking to the CEO or president. Yeah, like you walk up and talk to Mert Lawwell. Yeah. About really anything. Or what is really fascinating, I think, to him at the moment is his new prosthetic design business. Right. Yeah, we interviewed him a couple years ago. But this is a great opportunity for us to walk around, shake hands, meet people, and find out more about their products. And not always is it a product. Sometimes it's a company that is serving us. In the case of our first interview... It's our friend Rob Dingman. He's been on our show before. He's the CEO of the AMA. And a super chill dude. What a nice guy. Exactly. But since they were giving Malcolm an award, we decided to talk to Rob, find out more about Malcolm and also what the AMA is going to be doing about electric motorcycles. It's actually a big topic because they are the governing body for racing. And a lot of people said, how do you bring electric bikes in? How do they compete? What class do they go in? And this is something that the AMA, they are one foot forward. They're trying to stay a a step ahead, and they are preparing for this. And they, too, know that electric is the future, and it's going to be fascinating. So let's hear that now. This is Rob Dingman. And we are here at the Quail Motorcycle Gathering. This is a uh, 2019. It is 2019. Cool. How time flies. I oh, know. I just got a whiff of Castrol R. Ooh. Oh, Schmerz- mm, that smells Ooh. so good. So good. And uh, it's in the morning, and the sun has come out, and this could not be better. Oh, better it's beautiful. weather. It really is beautiful. And the best part about this, the show hasn't even officially opened yet. If you want to be sitting here at 9.45, you'd better be part of the press or, like our guest, part of the show itself. And speaking of our guest, let's say who's here. We are sitting here with Rob, Rob Dingman of the AMA. Hey, Rob, how you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to see you guys again. 
Thank you. Um, yeah, you've been on the show a couple of times now, and we always look forward to coming to this and, and, and seeing you here. I think this is an event hopefully you look forward to coming to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this is the second time I've been here. It's been a couple of years since I've been out here, but uh, it's just so inspiring uh, to come out and see all the different bikes and different designs and all the different people. It's just, this is what motorcycling is. This is the motorcycle lifestyle. And you know what? Let's cut to the chase, Rob. California ain't a bad place to be in May, is it? No, no, you didn't. Oh, no, you're in my. We're We're doing an interview. Join us. Are you good? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're good. That's all right. So, walking around, looking at some of the bikes, have you had any highlights you've noticed here yet? Yeah, I saw a 1938 Bruff Superior with a sidecar that was the coolest thing I've seen so far. It was really, really impressive. You know, the thing is to me about vintage bikes, Rob, they take you back to a period of time. And when you look on a bike, particularly from the 1930s, whether it's a British bike like the Bruff, or even the Harleys and the Indians, it really transports you back to a very interesting time in history. It really does. Well, and the last time I was here, I was in the process of uh, working on a project bike that we talked about uh, when I was on your show, and I was able to get some, you know, design ideas from from here, and was able to finish it shortly after that. And it's just, I, I in fact, I've entered in into a couple of shows at VMD, and done okay, but uh, got, I got I think a second and a third uh, in, in here, so. Uh, you know, it's just really, uh, that's rewarding too, to, to be able to kind of get some background, uh, get some ideas, and then go and do it yourself. It's just fun. I'll tell you one of my favorite things here is the people. And we love to just sit down and meet people and talk to people, but not just that, the caliber of the people here. And we've got Rob Talbot over there, and you can walk up to him, talk to him about his bikes. And Mike Corbin will be here. You can talk to him about oh, his history, you know. And then over here we got Mert Law. Shaking hands, signing autographs. But one of the people I'm most excited to see today. I know. Oh, she has been talking about this for weeks, incessantly, is herself. <laughs> no, is Malcolm Smith, who arguably, I, I think, is the best writer in the world ever. I, I think that man has the best writing skills in the world. But th my opinion, the thing that makes Malcolm Smith unique, he can swing his leg over anything and just ride the hell out of it. It doesn't matter whether it's enduro, it doesn't matter whether it's dirt, hill climb, street, drag race, it doesn't matter. He, he He's just, yeah. if it's a motorbike, he can master it out the box. And he's going to be here today... Rob, you want to tell us why? Yeah, that's, you know, the main reason I came out to the Quail this year was to present Malcolm with the Dud Perkins Lifetime Achievement Award, which is the highest honor you can get by the AMA. You know, AMA uh, Malcolm was inducted into the uh, AMA Motorcycle Hall of Fame uh, in one of the early classes, I believe, in 1998, uh, and and uh, he's been he was inducted later as a as a legend. Uh, we've honored him. Uh, he, to me, Malcolm is an American treasure. Uh, I, I was thinking about this. I can't think of another human on the planet 
who has done more to inspire people to throw their leg over a motorcycle than Malcolm Smith. And uh, he really, and, and even after, even beyond on any Sunday, which so many people credit with uh, getting them interested in racing, getting them interested in motorcycling, beyond that, he has been such a great ambassador for our industry and for our sport. And uh, you know, going back to you know being a dealer and selling uh, youth model motorcycles, uh, you know, against against the law that was enacted to prevent people from selling youth model motorcycles with a certain amount of lead content, and he justified the law and did it anyway. What is that starting up? So yeah, and Malcolm, and not to mention not just two wheels, but four wheels also. Yes. Uh, he he can drive a ride anything, and he's got that his dealership. So he's created so many riders. And one thing I love, I was watching uh, him his speech at the 2012 AMA uh, Hall of Fame Awards, and his proudest thing seemed to be his family and that everybody in his family rode. So I think that is really cool. He's such a great guy. Um, and the Dud Perkins Award, can you name maybe some other people who've won this award? You know, the, the last time uh, I was out here was to present the Dud Perkins Award to Craig Vetter, who, of course, lives really close to here. And, you know, credit, Craig is another guy who's just a treasure, you know. And, and there are just uh, so many people over the years who've been involved. I can't off the top of my head start rattling them off. I'll probably give you the wrong names. But so many people have done such great things for, for this industry and for, for motorcycling that, you know, Malcolm is right at the top of that list, no question. And I'm, I'm shocked that it took our board of directors as long as it did to name Malcolm Smith. But that was going to be my yeah. next question. Why yeah. did it take so long? But the important thing, he is being honored. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to shift gears just for a sure. moment, and I want to talk about the AMA itself. It's 2019. Things are changing fast. Things are changing fast within the industry. Things are changing fast with regulation appertaining to motorcycles. It's a tough question, so I'm putting you on the spot. You know that the Misfits, we've been great friends with the AMA for many years. My question to you is, why should our listeners join the AMA? If you're not a member of the AMA right now, now, if you live overseas, you've got an excuse. But if you live in America, you listen to Motorcycles and Misfits and hopefully enjoy it, and you're not a member of the AMA, hard sell it. Why do they need to join the AMA? You know, first and foremost, the AMA is an advocacy organization to advocate for the rights of motorcyclists and promote the motorcycle lifestyle. And if I always say that if the AMA didn't exist, we'd have to invent it because there has to be an entity there that works in Washington and in the state capitals to ensure that government doesn't overregulate us. And and uh, so that's to me the primary reason. Everything else we do, our our race sanctioning activity and our you know the, the events that we put on, all of those things are uh, a means to an end. And that end is to grow our membership because if our, the larger our membership is, the more uh, powerful voice we'll have in the halls of Congress in the state capitals. So, you know, that to me is the most significant reason people should join. Lots of people join uh, because they have to to race and they race for a few years and then they realize that the AMA really does great things for, for motorcycling. Right. And if, if I can jump in there, I mean, if you need racing credentials, there's no easier way than joining the AMA. Yeah. Well, and, and off-road too. It's on-road, on-track okay. and off-road. Just racing credentials, if you want to race and 
you ultimately want an FIM license, your starting point is always going to be the AMA. Well, and I actually wanted to segue, we're talking about racing, racing, and um, there's a lot of electric companies here. And I want to see how the AMA is looking at this, because this is a big controversy. How do you, how do you class, classify an electric bike, and how do you see the future of electric racing? You know, uh, electric motorcycle racing is coming. Electric motorcycling is already here. So, you know, we're already starting to see, you know, some series crop up. Uh, the, the FIM just announced that they have a, a, a motocross series. Uh, the MX Sports has had an uh, a, um, uh, electric bicycle um, uh, or, or e-bike uh, off-road series in conjunction with the GNCC series. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden now these bicycle organizations that had no interest in racing electric bikes uh, now that the motorcycle entities the FIM and the AMA are sanctioning these events they're sending letters to both MX Sports and to the FIM saying wait a minute we we're recognized by the Olympic Commission and and it, that's our purview you can't do it well they, they must have realized that there was money to be made so they they jumped in but you know that I think we're gonna see a little bit of a battle there but I guess my view is, hey, if they want to do it, that means they're going to open up their trails to all motorized recreation, right? So, uh, you know, you can't really have it both ways. But that's definitely the future. I think we're already working on some rules packages uh, for we're starting small with some of the this, uh, bikes. We've got a couple of manufacturers are making electric bikes for kids to get started. Uh, and then, you know, we're working with them to develop. You know, the thing about electric technology is it evolves so quickly so it's very hard to come up with okay what's parity you know it's really easy in in uh, relatively easy uh, in the internal combustion world to say okay we're gonna race bikes uh, this class is made up of these this CC range you know it's so much harder with electric because you can't figure out what's what is similar to what so you almost have to say okay we're gonna race only this brand or you know this type because again the technology is changing and evolving so quickly that uh, you know we're, it's we're, the challenge for us is to keep up with it and to to try to come up with something that that people can race well it's good to know I mean I assume you guys have your finger on the pulse of electric and it is kind of exciting and we've got uh, Livewire here and we've got Energica and we've got a new bike called Lido that is new to me the super bike um, so that that was a song in the seventies, you know, by uh, Lido. Lido Shabazz. Shabazz. Right. that one out. Well, good. Well, I'm gonna let you get back to enjoying the weather, the bikes, and again, you know, we said we love the people, we love the bikes here, and like right here, we've got the CB, a CB750, a Suncast, no less. I mean, right at the beginning of production. It's got the Suncast engine, it's got the ducktail seat, that's as early as it gets. Can you imagine, let's just go back to 1969, about the impact that bike made. In 1969, you can only imagine. You know, snot-nosed kid like me, with a nose pressed against a dealership window, just drooling over that thing. But I, I love you have the vintage bikes, you have the new electric bikes, but you also have, I haven't seen them yet, but they said they have featured here dirt bikes of the 90s I believe I'm gonna look for the very colorful section yes, that's yeah. probably Old it new graphics, right? right well you know back to the CBs you know that is the mark of the year for us it's yes, an it important it's an important uh, 
anniversary for the CB750 uh, this year, 50 years. Uh, 50 years, and so we're gonna we're gonna recognize that at uh, VMD this year. So we'll probably see a lot of CBs run around uh, Mid Ohio Sports Car Course on July fifth uh, through seventh this year. And you know, if if anybody's never ridden a CB750, and let's just I mean we'll just say the single cameras for now. The twin cameras mm-hmm. came out in '79. But if anybody's never ridden a single cam 750, they're charming bikes. They make great power. They're very smooth. They're they're very, you know, in a lot of ways, the noise they make reminds me of an early Porsche. They're very whiny and geary noising. And they're just great bikes. Yeah, a lot of great bikes here to enjoy. Um, But as you said, you want to give the dates again for AMA Vintage Days? Because Emma will be there as well. July 5th through 7th this year. And uh, it'll be a party because it's right around uh, 4th of July. So it always is. There's no better place to be than, than Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course. Uh, so uh, for if, you, this year. if you're going to find yourself at AMA Vintage Days, make a beeline for the AMA, say hi to Rob. I'll be walking around with my Motorcycles and Misfits t-shirt on, as will Bagel. Exactly. And we'll do the usual motorcycles and misfit shenanigans and we'll have prizes if you do bad things to Bagel. I've just got to figure out what we're going to do yet. Well, thanks again for the interview and we'll keep circling around. We'll see you again yeah, later. thanks, Rob. What great. a great interview. Appreciate yeah, thanks it. so much. Yeah, right. appreciate, appreciate the opportunity to talk to you guys. Thanks. So, Jim, that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, what a great guy and... and if you don't belong to the AMA, you should, because they're really the only um, lobbying group out there that's in Washington doing anything for motorcyclists. So I want to know, Jim, what was one of your favorite bikes there? I, I think I know what it is. And I hope, because this is the intro to our next interview, I hope it's the bike I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. As I was riding through the Santa Cruz Mountains yesterday, the Carducci Dual Sport, oh, without yeah. a doubt. I mean, it's been evolving over a few years now. And uh, I think Jim, the owner and, and developer and his wife, uh, I think they're at a point where they're ready to let this thing rip. Yeah, and I have a history with this. I think I was talking to Jim about this before we started recording. And we used to have an event here, the British Bike Show. It was classic British bikes. And I remember going like, oh, this was like 10 years ago. It was a while ago. And walking in the front door, and to my right, I saw this monstrosity that did not belong there. And it was a giant, um, it looked like a like a GS, like a BMW GS, but not the right motor. The Freedom version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it had a Harley motor, and it had a beautiful aluminum bodywork and tank and everything. And it caught my eye. It was like this weird, like Frankenstein, like what? And turns out that was the early version of it. And the interesting story, he said he was told by a friend to bring the bike there to show. And when he was trying to wheel it in, the officials were like, whoa, you can't bring that in here. That's that is in no way a British bike. And he was being turned away before his friend came and said, no, 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 it it belongs here. Let it in. And uh, that's when I saw it. But it's gone through many years of changes and improvements to make a Harley Sportster a bona fide not just an adventure bike, a race bike. Yeah, and this is almost, you know, it's not specific, you know purpose-built, so to speak, but it's really designed for, you know, the heavy-hitting race of the Baja 1000. Right, and who better to race it? Than, than me? 
Tony Guerra. Oh, Tony again. He always beats me out on these things. I yeah. Know. No, Tony's boss. So this is going to be a one-two knockout combo. Right. A local home, hometown boy who's also been on the show, Tony Guerra. And that's going to be coming up later in the year. I can't wait to follow that race. And I think to put it in perspective, you'll hear in the interview, but one of the things that, that Tony wanted, he had a few few things they wanted to work on the bike. And just to give you an idea of the Baja 1000 speeds, he says, I need a 100 mile an hour headlight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So let's hear that interview here. This is Jim Carducci. Well, lots of bikes. You got, of course, a lot of vintage bikes. You got a lot of electric bikes, new and old. And then you've got things like this. And this is a bike uh, we were just talking about that I have a little bit of history of. It's been on my radar. I'm here with Jim Carducci, and this is a Carducci motorcycle. Yeah, Carducci, we, we Carducci call it the Carducci Dual Sport. The Carducci Dual Sport. So we were talking, I remember years ago at the British Bike Show. Walked in the front door. You're expecting to see British bikes. Walk in, turn to the right, and there's this Frankenstein bike. It was a whole lot of things together. It just reminded me of a, a Harley engine slammed into a BMW GS with some amazing aluminum bodywork and tank on it that made you just go, whoa, 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 hold on. What's happening here? And it's progressed from there to what we have here. That's and right. Jim, can you tell us what we're looking at exactly here? Well, like you said, that was the whole thing. It was, this is all about the Sportster motor. I've loved the Sportster motor since I was a little kid, actually, watching Then Came Bronson on TV uh -huh. ride that bike. <laughs> yep. So I loved it. So, And I love the adventure riding, so you nailed it. It's, it's a Sportster with an adventure thing wrapped around it. And I started doing it in 2011, so I've been doing it for a while. It's evolved over the years. But this version, we call it the SC3 Guerra Baja. We were approached by Tony Guerra. Who's been on our show? Yeah, yeah. Tony's been on the show, and I listened to that podcast. It was great. Um, Tony came to us and said, my dream is I want to ride a Harley from Northern California to Baja, pre-run, race, ride it all the way back. Okay, let's and, just, uh, let's just like... Tony's crazy. It's, it's, right there. it's not enough that he wants, that he's won the Ironman, which is already crazy as it is, yeah. to running the event alone with no crew. Now he wants to ride the bike to the event. Yeah, let's just add on another couple Why thousand not? miles to the whole Is he going to do thing. an Iron Butt too? Well, should we not feed him that idea, maybe? <laughs> he's focused on this one right yeah. now. So, uh, so... Yeah, I, I, I asked him, I go, are you just doing this as a novelty, right? Just for fun, kind of a thing to do, right? Yeah. No, we're going to win. So I have a question about the bike, Jim. <clears throat> you know, you've been showing it here at the Quail for a while. It's been developing. Can you walk us through what you started with originally and then how you've refined it over the years? Sure. So the, in 2011, the way it started is we had a stock Sportster, and I tore it down to the motor in the frame, and... Uh, the first thing we did was we designed this swing arm for it. Uh, it's made out of 7075 billet aluminum CNC machine. So that was the very first part ever made. And then we threw on a 2003 KTM 525 front end. And the rest was basically the stock Sportster. So that was the, the prototype just to say, does this thing work? Does this not work? And I started riding it around. And the basic geometry was pretty good. And that was the starting point. 
and from there it's just snowball, just next part after next part after next part. So it was straight to a CNC swing arm and not cobbling together a KTM swing arm or some eBay part? That's true. So my background's mechanical engineering. There it is. And, uh, there it is. And I love CNC machine stuff. Yeah. I do it in my day job all the time. Sure. And um, so I had to do that on the first one. Of course. Plus, my whole thing is function. So this is a form follows function bike. And that, you know, safety is a big deal. It's got to perform. It can't break. If that breaks at speed, somebody's going to get hurt. So I didn't want to deal with cobbling anything together or uh, welds in this case, because yeah, I was going to ride it off road. I was going to ride it hard. So that's just what I wanted to do and how I did it. So, so what are the big mods that you had to get up to speed with as far as running the Baja 1000? Because you're talking about Tony doing it as an Iron Man. So, what are the big mods you had to really get up for for the for the Baja stuff? All right. Uh, so the, there were four basic things that we attacked on this bike. One was the motor, the horsepower and the torque. We had to get it up. We're over 100 horsepower, over 90 foot-pounds of torque. The next was the weight. We had to get the weight down. So we took 25 pounds off the, the previous version of the bike. It's now 438 pounds. The third thing was suspension. Had to have better suspension. So um, the goal was 10 inches or longer. So we're right at about 10 inches, a little over 10. And then the last thing, Tony wanted 100 mile an hour lights. That's what he calls them. Because <laughs> he rides, like he rides 100 and he can't outrun that light beam. So uh, this is in the, the sand, by the way. Yeah, in yeah, the desert. In the sand, and he's, he's flying. And so it was just that plus making it reliable. So we're kind of in that phase of tuning and testing to make this thing uh, reliable now. And we didn't clarify, this is the 1200? This is, yeah, now yeah. a 1275. 1275. It started as an 883, but we put in hammer performance, pistons, heads, cylinders, cams. So it's got a performance package on there now. Now I'm curious because you're running what looks to be a stock air box. I'm guessing it's not. It is actually, is it? it's a K&N, All right, so but that's basically enough. in stock shape. Yeah. But we did that because it's, it's a very high surface area filter. And this one just has a carbon fiber cover for the street. Tony will actually run with a K&N foam filter around that and then a, a pre-filter around that. So for the silt, the Baja mm -hmm, dust, right. like that. But in general, it, what it does for us, it gives us a lot of surface area and breathing area rather than going to the small one. And we still keep the breathers into this just to make sure we're not dealing with uh, filtered dirt getting in through some other way. So, you know, it's all reliability what we're trying to make this thing do. The whole bike's custom, but one thing I keep going back to, and uh, another local company, you've got a Corbin seat on here. And this Corbin yeah. seat looks like someone took Play-Doh and molded it exactly how they wanted it. What was it like getting the Corbin seat made? That's cool. Yeah, yeah. it's funny. I, I live across the street from a guy, Gary Coop. They call him Coop, and he works at Corbin as well. Okay. And he says, it ain't complete without the seat. <laughs> and it's literally the last thing I did. So uh, just a couple weeks ago, I was at Corbin having him do this. Because this is one-off stuff, right? Yeah, this is one-off. And... <clears throat> This what? makes so much sense to me right here. Right. So yeah. this is uh, on the sides of the seat where usually it's smooth going back. It's got two protrusions, so it looks like your leg can lock right in where you need it to. It does. This this is new. This it. this is uh, so it's a Corbin seat, but MX Control Tech is a company working with Corbin 
and this is their patented design right here to lock your legs in. Yeah. Yes. He calls it grip it and rip it. James of MX Control Tech. So we did this right in Corbin and James was there and he helped form this to ours where we needed them. Yeah. And then the rest is you work hand in hand with the yeah. Corbin builder. They call them the wizards. Yep. And you yeah, just, they you hand just shape it while you're, you're there. You're looking and you say, yeah. I want it to do this, this, and this, and then they shave, shave, shave. It's a great experience. It really is, yeah. So you've got the weight down. So for a 12.75, you said? Yeah. And at 400 something pounds, it seems almost unfair. There's nothing else like that that, that that can compete with that, right? In that weight? It's, you know, as far as the adventure bikes go, it's fairly light. Yeah. It's lighter than most of the adventure bikes that are out there. And the horsepower is now up with them. It's just a very unique bike, being that it's a Harley V-Twin. Now, have you done anything? What have you done with the transmission? Is it? That's a stock five-speed transmission. Really? Yeah, the stock clutch. Wow. You really do love these these motors, yeah, don't you? Yeah, it's you know it works for the application that we're doing it. They actually just work. We've had other clutches in there and just haven't found the need. And they're, they're very grippy, too grippy, and not. It's still ten and a half to one compression uh, cylind piston mm -hmm. cylinders. Why? Because we still have to run Mexican gas. Yeah. Right, uh, gas here. We're not running race gas. So. So, it's a very um, rideable bike. Yeah. It's it not is. just a race kind of bike. Well, what's radical too is, you know, you guys don't have a, a shop you're working out of or a factory thing. You guys are kind of building these at home. Yeah. So what's the concept as far as, you know, producing these or having someone? What, what, what's your thought there? Because I know you have some patents here, right? Yeah, it's every, every version of this bike that we've done, we've, we've kind of summed it into a patent. And so they have three design patents on there. There are actually no words in the patents. They just document every angle and shape of the bike mm. and then our our goal is to because so many people around the world email us we want this bike want this bike how much is it and it's a lot of money to do a one-off so um, we're going to offer the manufacturing rights and the bike is documented i'd say 90 percent of it's documented for the exception of handwork on the frame handwork on the pipe but all the other components are CAD model, 3D CAD model, 2D drawings, where you just, and a bill of materials, you just hand them that. Yeah. They can reproduce the spec. That's why we built the second one. It only took us about three months to do the second one. Just order the parts, put it together. So I'm just going to ask for not, because I think he's thinking this. Is there going to be a supermoto version? Supermoto version? Well, now, can you imagine Supermoto? Sumo Harley Supermoto is pretty awesome. I've been thinking of that. One. I actually yeah. have 17, 19 inch wheels. Not oh, quite Supermoto, yeah. but they're they're Close big enough. street now rubber. And that will be running around Highway 9 pretty soon. Yeah! yeah. yeah. Oh. He lives right there. there. Yeah, I can't wait. And this thing with this motor and horsepower, it yeah. wheelies. I bet. It wheelies, yeah. guys. It's it just nice roll-ons. Well, that's the thing. You can take, you take a great motor. But without the suspension, yeah. the control, to me, is always more important. And I think so much emphasis is put on, everyone says, how fast, how, what's the horsepower? It's like, that that's great, but it's the control. You're right. And you've got Olin's front and rear on here. And what else have you put on here that'll give you that added control? We have a steering damper, mm -hmm. Scott steering damper up front. So for high speed off-road stuff where you're hitting boulders and rocks, yeah. That keeps it very stable. It also does it on the street, so it gives it some stability. 
And we've lengthened the swing arm, so now it has a very generous wheelbase. So for straight line tractability, riding like that, it's a very stable at speed bike. And the swing arm, torsionally, is extremely stiff with the truss construction. So on bikes with uh, weaker swing arms, you'll, you'll feel a wallowing in a corner. That sometimes is because of the swing arm flexing like right. this, and you'll feel that. This one's very stable, so it feels like it's on rails in, in corners. And what are you running for brakes on this? Uh, we run Behringer, front and rear. And Behringer makes it turnkey, so the, the rotor, calipers, they make now for off-road Honda KTM dirt bikes. So we adapted one of those to this. And then the rear brake, they make the rear brake for Harley Sportster, mm -hmm. bolt-on. So it bolted right on, and, and our swing arm adapts to that stock mounting condition. What's the uh, rake and trail on the front end on that thing? 28 degrees rake and five inches of trail. Oh wow, okay. It's gen generous trail. Yeah, it's pretty generous. So yeah, like you said, the geometry itself is, it lends itself to stability and high speed stuff. Yeah. That being said, it's not a single track bike. No. But you know, I'll ride it up in Hollister Hills and do some of the testing out there. Uh-huh. Just to vet things out, see how it's working. You, uh, this is custom triple clamp as well? It's all machined by you or? Yeah. Triple clamps, the bar risers. The bar risers are rubber mounted, damp out the vibration. Yeah. Um, What's the offset on the uh, triple clamp? 18 millimeter. 18 mil? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So when is Tony going to be racing this? Tony will be racing middle of November this year. He's already got the bike in Northern California and he's, he's already putting it through the paces. I saw he announced it and was very excited and I went, oh, this is going to be fascinating. Yeah. Because it's not like he just pulled the old 450 out of his shed to go race on. Yeah. This is a, a beast. It's a different a animal beast. for yeah. sure. A total beast. But Tony, Tony can ride it. We already made a video with Tony and put it up on YouTube. Go to our, our website, carducciedosport.com. Look at our video page. You'll see Tony riding the bike up in Willets, going through creeks and going through dirt corners and wheeling. And you kind of see how the suspension works yeah. and how the bike works in that video. We need to turn in on some of our friends in Tennessee, uh, Matt Harris and Smoky Mountain Harley Davidson. They do a bunch of stuff in the woods, crazy stuff like this, but yeah. Well, tell people where they can find out more about this bike. Uh, they can just go to our website, carducciedualsport.com. How do you spell it? C-A-R-D-U-C-C-I and dual sport, D-U-A-L. And uh, we got a bunch of stuff to look up there. Or you can go to Instagram page, Carducci Dual Sport Instagram. Got a lot of stuff out there. Yeah, too. really cool site, yeah. Yeah, and like I said, it's been fun watching the evolution of this over all the years. And I, I can't even imagine what you could do to improve it at this point. Was this ever uh, on the sheet iron 300? No, point? not yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was a, a hardly looking kind of a thing like this. We knew it was your bike or? No, I've never made that. Yeah. Every year, it's something fun. comes in the way. I haven't been to the Barsta Vegas yeah. thing. I've never. I wanted to do that. Never done that. So much to do. Well, thank you well, very much. The only thing, last pitch. I, yeah. I'm thinking about a different frame. What else oh. can I do to it? Yeah. Full custom frame, pro molly. Yeah. Probably take another 10-ish pounds off it. That's a big venture, but. Other than that, I'm pretty happy with it right now. Well, so, yeah, I can't wait to see this. One race. last question. Do you have anything you got percolating beyond this motorcycle? Something different or some other thing? Or is every, all the effort in this right now? Uh, all the effort's right here. Okay. Right now. I'm focused on this to, to make this thing work with Tony for yeah. that race at the end of the year. So well, we're, we're pouring money into this guy right now. And you we're know, Tony, make it work. Tony can win. He's a 
Yeah. He's done I, it before, so you got a great a great rider. I believe in the guy. And, and the whole Tony Garrett, great person. His whole family, you know, they're all listening out there. That's the reason I took this on after talking to him. It wasn't just talking to Tony, it was talking to George, his dad, Dina, his mother. Got to know the whole family and they're just really good people. And we just said, yeah, let's do it. Let's team up. All right, well we're excited to follow this. This is uh this is an interesting step in the evolution of motorcycles and you're taking something that you never thought would be the next step. Yeah. But here it is. And it's all local and homegrown. So. Exactly. Thank you very much. It's cool. Thank you. Pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Thanks a lot, man. Well, one of the things I was really fascinated by in this year's show was, I'm going to say, first I'm going to say the absence of motorcycle companies that have been there before. I think um, there was just Suzuki. They were showing off the the new Katana, Katana which I like better than the original Katana, um, except for the handlebars drove me absolutely nuts. They look like something out of the parts bin. But I like the design overall, and I think they are trying to fit a niche of a more upright sport bike. Um, and Katana's got such a great lineage. So they were there, but oh, and Indian was there. But a lot of the other companies that we usually see weren't there. But what was there? Not one, not two, not three, but four electric motorcycle companies. Um So that was pretty cool. And so we went around to talk to some of them, and... We went, we, first we went over to the Energica booth. Energica. <laughs> we learned how to say it. I'm not even going to try. And the Energica is an Italian bike, and it has the styling of an Italian bike. I, I, you know what? And it makes me question, why is it the Italians are so good at that? They just are. They just are. From their loafers up. I, know, I don't even want to like it, but like the Italian style, but every time you see it, it just works. Right. So Energica, they've been around a few years. We interviewed them, I think, about three years ago there. And they've, they're still making a great bike. They have a few bikes now. They were on display. So we went and met with uh, Stefano from Energica. And this is what he had to say. So we're here at the... Energica booth. Did I say it right, Stefano? Absolutely. Let me say it with Italian pronunciation. Welcome, everybody. The right name is Energica. One more time. Energica. Probably speaking more American-friendly, it sounds more Energica, but yeah, the right pronunciation is once again Energica. I remember the first time you explained it to me. We were at uh, a race at Laguna, and you said, I'm sorry it's so difficult for Americans to pronounce. You just have to add the emphasis on the air. Yeah. Energica. Yeah, yeah. So here the quail, uh, first time I saw one of the Energicas was I believe about three years ago. And it was here on display and I thought, oh, what's this? Because we all know that Zero is the main player in the game and all these other people trying to come in. And the one thing that did set itself aside, the Energicas, is it looks more like a common sport bike, less like something of the future, something of the now. And lo and behold, you guys are still here and you're here again with uh, more models. Can you tell us what models you have here? Oh yeah. Um, we have uh, the sport bike, the Eagle, that is the same bike that in a tuned version we run the 
coming Moto E. Then we have uh, our naked bike, the EVA, and we have the um, retro naked Street Fighter, the EVA SS9. So speaking about what you said before about our company history, um, you know, we started in 2009 as a racing team, so this is why our heritage also coming from Modena, that is the hub in Italy of Ferrari, Maserati, Lamborghini. Um, yeah, our heritage is to be fast, to be sexy, or no thanks. So I, we respect all other manufacturers, but uh, this is what we like, this is what we are. It's not a matter of being electric, it's a matter of style, performance, and why not? Of course, to be green, to be high-tech, one step forward, yeah, this is what we are. But first of all, we share the same motorcycle passion like all of the other guests here in this uh, exhibition are, are sharing with us. So, of course, um, we started as a racing team, after that, uh, you know, we won the European Championship in 2010, we started to think and dream of the company, the first prototypes came out, uh, and then of course uh, we introduced the first, the, the first model, the Ego, the company was incorporated, uh, the listing in the stock market in Italy, then again the second model, the EVA, and then uh, last year the SS9. Right now we are excited and we can't wait that the Moto E will start, you know, for a motorcycle manufacturer is a dream coming true. So, and these bikes... <coughs> Well, I guess we should say congratulations because you did sign a, I will say, a deal that you are going to be the bikes racing in the, is it the MotoGP circuit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's been a controversy. How do you introduce electric bikes into racing against combustion bikes? We're here with Brandon, who has only raced electric, so you couldn't compare the two, but... A lot of people agree that this is the future of racing and that these will quickly outrun the combustion engines. So the fact that you guys have come to the lead for that, um, how is that going so far? Well, I should say, why don't race electric? I mean, as an Italian, as an Italian, you know that we born and we grew up with motors in our blood, literally. I mean, we we raced when we were 14 or 13 years old with the moped, and um, we have a huge tradition, like like our with our friends, the Spanish guys, that are in doing that. And again, coming from the Modena hub, the same city of Ferrari, Maserati, Lamborghini, race is what we dream and when you do a vehicle it has to be I mean the, the final target we want to reach is to be on the raceway the Moto E is the is a dream again is the yeah is uh, the maximum the maximum competition that you can have with the endorsement of the MotoGP so it's exciting to be there and we can wait of course what happened with uh, recently it's unfortunate but I hope that this kind of drama uh, will get all the people more curious and um, excited to see us let's say like a finish from the yeah from the from the dust coming again, making everything in a very short time and be on the race again in Sassering in Germany on July, uh, yeah, beginning of July. Are you making reference to the fire? Of course, why not? I mean, <laughs> a lot of people don't know. Can you tell us what happened? Uh, what happened really is still the investigation is still in progress. I don't know technically what happened, but uh, what I knew is that uh, our bikes were not connected with. So, 
there were a source of firing coming from somewhere else, let's say. Um, I don't know what, mm, but, but uh, yeah, like everybody saw, our bikes can burn well, yes. But like uh, if you put 20 bikes with a gasoline tank, uh, you ignite them, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it's, a, it's an accident, it's bad, it's a tragedy. Uh, but once again, we are, uh, we are working, we are ready, and uh, we will be back in the raceway in, uh, yeah, in, uh, a couple of, in a few weeks, so it's amazing. So one thing I find interesting about electric bikes, and you all can correct me if I'm wrong, on the track, it's not going to be machine versus machine, because aren't all the machines equal? It's going to be man versus man? No, no, I, I don't think that that's the case. Um, as you mentioned, I raced against petrol bikes with uh, the electrics. I started racing on the Zeros, I raced on uh, Bramo, and now I'm racing on the Energicas. The difference that I found with electric motorbikes is that you can tune them just like a petrol bike. You can adjust the controllers, you can adjust the temperature things, you can adjust your power curves. And uh, I remember when I first started adjusting, I wanted everything maximum power. And then what would happen is I'd overheat my bike or something like that would happen. Because, you know, the technology back then was not nearly as good as it is now. And uh, you can actually, I can take my bike uh, without any like cooling modifications and ride it faster than a bike that has cooling modifications by tuning it up for that. Right, so we're still going to see a level of individual tuning between riders, even with the electric bikes, to set up the bikes to suit themselves. That's correct. Yep. Very good. See, that's, that's interesting to me. I didn't know that. So it actually, it works a lot like uh, a petrol bike does. Uh, not that I know a lot like it. You may laugh no, at me. No, and that's right. fine. <laughs> But you have a rate at which things are being blown up, right? You have a rate at which the explosions are happening, explosion and then you need the, the the petrol and the air to be mixed appropriately for that. And this is very much the same. You have to get the electricity to go to the motor in such a way that uh, you do not overheat it while you're riding. And that means you have to tune it for the rider, right? Because if the rider likes to stay in the middle of the power band all the time, that's where you want it to be delivered most efficiently. Interesting. Well, the one thing, you, the influence of the Italian Spring is definitely, it is sexy. And the Energicas, Energicas, always been sexy. Can we, and this is something I want to talk about right now, it's a burning question. To every American, this is an Energica, and they're saying it wrong. So from the horse's mouth. We did Energica. Oh, Energica. Bravo. Yep. Appreciate it with passion. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time. And where can people find out more about your motorcycles? Uh, well, on our website, first of all, energicamotorusa.com. And uh, we have uh, a dealer here in Mountain View. Our, yeah, is uh, on Middlefield Road, so Calmodo. And, yeah. Two dealers in LA, Austin, North Carolina, Florida, New York. Uh, so it's growing uh, right now. So um, Washington and Portland. So the dealer network is, is growing. Yeah.
And, and these are places where people can actually try out absolutely. a bike? All, all the bikes, they have all of our models uh, on the floor available for test drive. Right. Yeah. And I want to give a big shout out to uh, Calmoto because they are providing a bike that's here at the Quail today that I'm going to go on a, a long distance ride. It's going to be my first uh, touring trip on an Energica. And I'm going to go down to LA, maybe down to San Diego. We're going to do some comparisons of bikes and uh, just uh, put up some photos and videos of it. You know, yeah. um, I'd like to shout out to Calmoto as well. They're a great dealership. They're a truly Californian dealership. Um, it was founded by Kari Prager, and we all worried a little bit when Kari died a few years ago, but the dealership's risen like a phoenix from the ashes. Absolutely. Just as you yeah. are as well. So yeah. It's a great dealership. And check out racing, the Moto E. Yeah. It's exactly. going to be exciting. We can't wait for it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you all. What a Thank great you. interview. You too. Bye. Thank Bye. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot, man. can't wait to uh, try and ride one of those. You know, that's the bike that, um, if you remember that Brandon uh, crashed when he hit that railroad gate. Yeah, I think he's got one in his hands again right now as we speak. He was riding somewhere, L.A. or something. No, yeah, he and Morgan, yeah. Morgan Vetter, went down to L.A. and they're racing back. Morgan on his Zero with the all the extra chargers and and Brandon on the Energica. Um, and they have different charging times and speeds, but uh, I think uh, Brandon can use the level three charger and Morgan can only use the level two, but there's less level three chargers out there. So it's a great challenge. So they're racing. Um, I, we're going to have to find out the results. <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking, I know how Brandon rides and he... <laughs> Is Brandon's strategy just to ride way faster and then have a little bit more charging time? Because I know Brandon only has one riding speed, and it's, yeah. I think so. So, as I said, there were many different electric companies there, and you could not go further away on the scale of design uh, from our next our next guest. So many people were familiar with the Confederate motorcycles making very high-end, like $100,000 motorcycles. And then when they announced they're changing their name to Curtis and making an electric, it was one of those what? But they have they had their reasons why. And I have to say, after seeing the designs and the bikes, they're they're making you know talk about works of art. It truly is works of art. It's wild. I mean, when you look at the bikes, and I think we posted some pictures on Instagram, but. Um, they're they're like unique one of a kind production things, and they're they are art. I mean, Wait, a one of a kind production. Oh, sorry, <laughs> they were produced kind of whatever. Cut all that out. <laughs> I gotta edit this. <laughs> um, well, I'm looking at a, I'm looking at a picture now, and it's it's so unique. Every aspect of it looks hand built and you know custom designed. Truly is, and I really enjoyed getting to see them up close. It's something that we've talked about and seen in like magazines and stuff. But to see the bikes and then to actually talk with the CEO and learn more about Curtis um, was really cool. So we talked to Matt, and he's got cool things to say. Here it is. Here at the Quail, and I mentioned we've been visiting a lot of electric motorcycles while we're here. This is kind of the most we've ever seen. And one of the names I noticed on one of the tents really got my uh, got my interest because I saw Curtis. And for those who recall, this was a, kind of a buzz a while ago. We've known about the Confederate 
motorcycles for years, making really beautiful machines that none of us can afford, but beautiful pieces of art on wheels, and which shows a real appreciation for two wheels. When the news came that the name was changing and going to electric, it was like, what? What's happening? There you go, go for it. And so we come here, over, over here, and not only is there an electric bike here, but I love here on the, in the tent on the walls are all these renderings of electric bikes, and we have some of the gas bikes too. So I'm here with Matt. Yes, yes. From, from Curtis Motorcycles. Thank you for uh, answering some questions here today. Can you tell us a bit about, if you can just briefly recap, the evolution from Confederate to Curtis and where the company was and where it's going now? Sure, I, I'm, uh, I started with the, uh, what was really kind of a, a process with Confederate motorcycles. I, I always thought of it as kind of an AMG of, of Mercedes relative to Harley. So we would yeah. kind of take the V-twin format and optimize the performance of it. And I believe we accomplished that. We, we're making the final V-twins we'll ever make. We just have a four or five left to sell. I think we sold three today. So I like that would make three left under the Curtis banner because Mr. Curtis invented the, the American big V-twin. So he's actually the person that created it. And then he did a W3, then he made a V8, ran 137 miles an hour, held a world speed record for 20 years, and then he, 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 he stopped with motorcycling and co-invented flight. He's the greatest innovator in the history of motorcycling. And many people have never even heard of him. Unfortunately. But yeah. we're going to change all right. that. The Curtis of Motorcycles yeah. for the future and we just wrapped, we just put a wrap on the first technology, which is what is on the wall here. And that will be these first six Curtis machines, 217 horsepower, little 48 pound motors with the best battery technology. We're not exactly sure how far they'll propel you, but they're gonna be, the, 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 the chemistry in the battery will be the superior chemistry of any motorcycle battery. The finest little small, tiny, lightweight controller oil cooled, oil-cooled motor, motorcycles that are under 450 pounds, and and uh, offered in, a, in what we're calling the Curtis Zeus mm -hmm. and the Curtis Hades. Another interesting, innovative idea within Curtis is we have two designers, Jordan and JT, and Jordan will be responsible for the Zeus, and JT will be responsible for the Hades. So they have two distinct packaging platforms. It's a very interesting way to do business. So so we, what we're doing is we're, we want to be the most innovative motorcycle brand of the future under the flying the Curtis flag, the Curtis of motorcycle. Very exciting time for us. We're super stoked about being here. It's a great day. Thank you for giving me the chance to, to talk to you this afternoon. I'd like to point out, I mean, I've heard of the bikes. I've seen TV, you know, ads. But to stand in front of one of these bikes, and I'm, lo I'm looking at one of the, the gas bikes right here, I want to find anything off a shelf. Like, I cannot believe the amount of custom-made components and pieces on it. Um, I'm kind of blown away by, it's not uh, pull pieces together and, and make a custom bike. This is truly a custom handcrafted bike. 
and to see it in person, it's really sinking in. And then to see now the next evolution of the electric, but you're taking pieces, hints of it, like the would you, the girder front end. Uh, would you call, call that? What do you call that well, front end? The, the, the situation with the, the the suspension technology that we've developed with the gassers. We've been working on this. I mean, we're the old. We've been doing yeah. this for. I mean, it is. It, the performance is brilliant. I mean, we we're just we've just worked on it and worked on it and worked on it. So we're very the suspension, the geometry of the motorcycles, the wheel tire brake technologies. These things are are will be carried over from our experience making gas motorcycles yeah. to the to the new battery electric line of Curtis motorcycles and as well as much uh, having to do with the structural integrity because we've always made our motorcycles to, to, to basically last forever I mean when we when you when you see that that's all built motorcycle that motorcycle will never no one will ever say okay that, that we're done with that now they'll, they'll and our in our battery electric technology will be made along the same line so the, the batteries will be replaced every seven to nine years but the motorcycle itself and, the, and, they're, and they're all biodegradable but the but the Curtis motorcycle oh, itself biodegradable well the battery the, what I'm saying oh, is when, we, when, we, when yes. we do away with the battery we, we can it won't it won't do any any harm but uh, and, and then you'll just upgrade to the, the new battery but the Curtis of motorcycles itself will be here for for all time, as far as I can imagine, because of the construction, the, the, the technique, the, the materials. Yeah, I've always felt that yes, these sir. these uh, bikes are distinctively you guys. Like, if you look at something like this, oh, you're like a reference point. It looks like a Curtis, or it looks like a Confederate. Yes, so that's, that's something like Confederate would do. It's It's got a really cool signature look. And, uh, and and not a lot of people do that, you know? You can't just look at a bike and go, oh, that's so-and-so built that, or, or distinctively as far as custom bikes go. Um, yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah. It's good. That's yeah. a good thing. Yeah, and, and uh, pictures don't do these things justice is what I'm trying to say. Is oh, like, you. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you just don't get that sense of depth or scale uh, when you look at it. So. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. So on the, the Hades and the Zeus, we're looking at some renderings on the wall here. Yes. Um, what, I'm curious what the price point is going to be on these, because the electric market is blowing up right now. Yes, it is. And it seems like you guys are coming in and created your own niche yes. of the custom electric. Yes. Um, so I'm curious, what is the pricing? Do you have a... Well, the pricing is going to be 60000 to begin with. Okay. That's on the 217 horse. Yeah. And then we'll... Uh, the, so the, that'll, the, and we'll, deliveries will begin in 2020, and then we'll, over time, each year we'll come out with a little lower horsepower, and eventually we'll we'll be uh, we're looking to be from 15 to 60,000. But great. we're going to start off. We're going to we're going to start off with the uh, the maximum fun that we can have with it. I can't. I mean, I can't wait to get. I've been riding this. This is a. 300 foot-pound of torque, 160 horsepower, and it's it's really nice. But that's the one we made a year ago. The new pieces that we're we're ordering all the parts in now, and uh, they're going to be much much lighter. The difference between this, the 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 evolution from the first 
example to these is the difference of about 150 pounds less weight. Wow. I'm so noticing be much lighter. carbon fiber everywhere, including everywhere. the wheels. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's great to see. Yeah. And, but I like these designs you come up with because it is still a nod to the vintage. Yes, it is. Yeah, they, have a, they have that kind of retro-futuristic a, a, a feeling, which is always good I mean, because we all want to be connected. A little bit of the traditional, but then something, even, even the gassers are kind of, in a way, kind of futuristic, in a way, even though they're kind of an anachronism, well, yeah. in a, you know, too. Retro-futuristic, I love yeah, it, it's yeah, a perfect yeah. description. Yeah, so I'm curious to juxtapose the historic thing. One of the things that comes along with electric bikes and considering your history of innovation, can you talk about the controls, right? So, because so much of the control or the the electric bikes is how you apply power to, with all that torque. Have you guys done things with the controls? We've we've been working on that for throughout the past year on the validation with the older tech, and we've made strides. But uh, these bikes were made with the we we had our original when we originally made the bike, we were working with a with a zero brand, and that that has a zero. Uh, battery pack and the, and it's two zero motors welded at the crank for the extra power, and 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 that's that's an interesting technology, but it's not really. I mean, we see ourselves as like a like a the Curtis of motorcycles is like the most premium, and that wouldn't qualify. That would be more like a Volkswagen or a Chevrolet type of technology. It's going to the point about the controlling. Our new controller, the oil cool, I mean, it is it is brand new, just on the market. It's the finest, uh, has the broadest range of, con of control capability. And what we want to do is make it kind of like, like the, the Macintosh high fidelity of the, you know, where, where you can hit the switch and you can, and it will be the smoothest, safest, most confidence inspiring. But then, if you want to, if you want to get sick with it, then you can, you know, then you can, you can, you can, you can, you, can hit a, you go to the next level, and then you've got. Like the rest of what you do is all custom the way you want it, you know. Yes, sir. So I have a question for you. I'm looking at the renderings here. Now I'm taking a wild guess. So it looks to me that you've taken the motor that we know, which the great thing about these electric motors, it can be a direct drive. But it looks like you've turned them sideways. Now this is the motor. So this is the motor. So what? These are the these, batteries. These are the batteries. So the battery. I thought this was the motor. So the All right, so still our, our batteries. The unique thing about our batteries is our battery is going to come in five sizes. So from the very beginning, what we wanted to do is is to is to not be stuck with just a big block that looks like an electronic. We wanted our batteries to be shaped the way we wanted them to be shaped. So these pieces will be essentially milled out and created, and then the battery will be glowing the inside. Optimized for cooling, so the Curtis motorcycles will have the cooled, the air-cooled battery, the oil-cooled controller, which will live in here, and the oil-cooled motor down here. The motor will live uh, at the swing arm pivot. It'll have a 35 mil shaft that runs through it, that locates the swing arm pivot and is the shaft of the motor. And you're using a chain or belt? It's going to be a chain. And no transmission. No transmission. Do you feel that there's a leap for your customers to go from combustion and transmission to electric and no transmission? Because some people want a transmission. They want it. They want to take that gradual steps. I, I would say that the 
what we're experiencing, and, and I experienced this myself, it's very much like, like uh, what I felt like when I was so acclimated to my, my flip phone. And then they came with this, with this phone that we all now are familiar with. And at first, I was a little bit resistant until my wife got me one, and I very rapidly became acclimated to it, and then I couldn't go back. I could see having one of each, right? I could see the, you know, the customers that you're working with, why not have uh, the gas-powered one? And then pick up an electric one. You could have one depending on your mood, right? Well, we, we've got quite a few back orders on electric now from our gas customers. And the, the logic is that it, 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 at first it'll be an affluent audience and they'll have more than one motorcycle. What I believe will happen, however, is that from my time on that bike, once you get used to it, you don't want to go back to the other thing. It's so much more... It's so much more refined, and even though I love the brutality of the V-Twin, and I've spent most of my life evolving that brutality, that brutal nature of it, but now that I've experienced something that's so much uh, technically, that's, it's so superior that the, the idea of, of, of the anachronism fades so I, I just don't I, don't, I think that when you've got them both sitting there, you're gonna go with the electric every time. Just to hit the switch and go ride. But opinions could vary on that. Uh, the one thing we know is that, is that 30 years from now, when the, young, when the younger people are here at this rally, everyone will be on a Curtis Electric or some other, what we would say will be the lesser brands. Because we, we hope we're gonna be, we hope we think we're building the ultimate battery electric motorcycle brand at Curtis building art it is art and that's something that I've always appreciated about the bikes because they're timeless and as you said well they are uh, they're not dated I mean you guys were there alongside everyone else during the bike building trends custom building trends yet your bikes don't look dated so I, I really appreciate what you've been doing just in the the art and the also, it's, it's original, and that is really hard to do. It is unique, and like he said, you know that it's a Curtis. So I want to thank you for your time, and I'm really excited for the future, and that you've taken this really progressive, huge leap that I think a lot of people went like, what? And you, you, you stuck with it, and you're going forward, and you're gonna be one of the people who's leading everyone into the future. So I appreciate that. Thank well, you very much. Well, I appreciate y'all. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Well, Emma and I were walking around at one point, and I was walking past the Helite booth. Do you remember Helite, the vests? We had them on the show once also, and it looks like a safety vest, but when you're, it's tethered to your bike, and when you're ejected, it creates an airbag that protects your front, your your spine, and your neck, mostly. And um, well, I almost like walked past, but then I saw they also had some jackets on display on mannequins. Did you stop and see those, Jim? No. <laughs> no. You're too busy riding the live wire. Um, and it caught my attention. So we went in there, and we talked to Canute, Canute from Helite. And here's what's fascinating. This is the next evolution of airbag. They have a leather jacket, one you would see someone on a cruiser 
ride in. And they had a like a mesh vented jacket. You'd see summer sport bike rider. And they also had a three-quarter adventure riding jacket. They just looked like jackets. But they have the airbag, the airbag technology in it. And then it's made to expand with the airbag, which, by the way, is they're reusable. Yeah. What I didn't think about is, um, you know, because I remember we had the had them here in the demo and it looked cool. And you think about it for commuting or daily riding, which is obviously a really good idea. But now that they've incorporated it into other jacket styles, think about adventure riding. Like, right. Oh, yeah. Like thinking about doing the Trans-American Trail next year wouldn't be a bad idea to have something like that when you're kind of in the middle of nowhere and help may not be you know close by. It's interesting. Well, and they've already put them into like I think Moto GP seats. Yep. Uh, Moto GP suits have them. Um, so you get track racing suits have them. It's definitely the next step in safety. But now that its design looks like a regular jacket, I think a lot more people may be interested in it. You know, you'll probably just see it becoming more and more commonplace just in general. More jackets will offer it. Yeah. So here's Canute. Okay. All right. Um, so this is Emma with Motorcycles and Misfits and Liza. Hey, everyone. Okay. And we are with, state your name, please. Okay. Uh, first of all, thank you for coming down here. Oh, you're so welcome. To the, to the Quail Motorcycle Gathering. We in, come every year. In lovely Carmel, California. Isn't the weather great? Weather is fantastic. Okay. Uh, my name is Knut. Uh, I'm the representative for Helite Airbag Systems for motorcyclists, uh, also uh, bicyclists and equestrians. Um, so any time that you could sustain an injury falling off either an animal or a vehicle, correct. you're there at the forefront. Um, tell us a little bit about your product, what it does and how it works, please. Helite is... Uh, Made in France, we've been on the market with uh, airbag products for about 15 years. We started uh, with motorcycle uh, items with vests which are worn over your existing garment and riding outfit. Uh, we now also offer uh, this same system built into jackets. Uh, we have different styles such as adventure rider jackets. Uh, like sort of three-quarter length, lots of pockets. Uh, everything is made from 600 denier cordura and uh, the airbag is integrated. Okay, so, and the noise of the quail in the background is all part and parcel of the interview. So, everything seems to be powered by the one of these small CO2 cartridges. So you have a lanyard which one end is attached to the mechanism on the cartridge, the other end is attached to the bike. Come off the bike, the cartridge inflates the airbag and protects your upper torso. That is, uh, that is correct. Uh, the lanyard is attached on the motorcycle, preferably between where the seat meets the tank, somewhere uh, on a frame member. And uh, then, just like in your car, you get on your motorcycle, you click in. And after you clicked in, an accidental deployment is unlikely because the brake loose moment on the trigger is about 80, uh, 60 pounds. Okay. So it is uh, quite a tug uh, to get it activated. And you know, that was going to be my question because, of course, 
I'm at a certain age where I get a little bit forgetful. I leave the lanyard attached to my bike. I arrive at the pub. I'm very excited about getting my gin and tonic. I forget to clip it off and get off the bike. I don't want the airbag to deploy in front of all my friends. So you're saying that's very unlikely? Yes, I mean, we've taken that into consideration. Well, uh, good, I'm, glad. I'm very glad. The, the friction <laughs> tension on the trigger uh, really requires a conscious effort. Or when you're riding along and you're, you're involved in an incident, uh, it requires an unconscious effort because the, your mass, your mass will just okay. take, take care of it. For the bicycle product, for example, uh, we have an electronic trigger, uh, which, um, because the bicycle just does not have enough mass mm, right. to activate it. Okay. But for the equestrians and for the motorcycle, it is a reliable, fantastically simple, uh, simple device and uh, therefore we, are, we, we, okay. we stick with that for the motorcycle board. Okay, and I'm, I'm not going to cut around... Uh, uh. I, I wanted to describe real quick. So, yes. And we've had um, you guys on our podcast before talking about the vest. And the vest looks like, like a day-glow yellow life preserver almost. It's uh, meant to be worn and to activate when you get evicted. But before that, it just looks like a safety vest. Cool. But this is new to me, what I'm seeing in front the of me, and these are, are two jackets. Yeah. As you described, we have a three-quarter um, uh, textile jacket, and looks like you have a, or you have a three-quarter and you have a half? We have a uh, adventure jacket, which is yeah. sort of a three-quarter mm -hmm. uh, GS uh, uh, um, yes. dual sport rider jacket uh, with inner lanyard uh, and lots of pockets and very, very thought-through uh, jacket with lots of venting but also in very effective inner liner. Then we have a uh, free air jacket. Mm -hmm. Looks which like a is vented. A, a permeable, uh, yeah. air permeable summer jacket, which comes with an inner jacket mm -hmm. uh, for the cold, for the evening ride home, right? Right. And it is also um, a semi-permeable membrane. Uh, this, this is very interesting right here. This is, we have brown and uh, uh, black roadster jackets. Yeah. Uh, which are traditional uh, half, a uh, belt, belt mm -hmm. line, belt line jackets. Great on uh, classic bikes. This is a leather jacket you could see on a classic bike, like oh, a cafe absolutely. racer, but you could also see it on a big twin as well. Yeah. It's just a classic exactly. leather jacket exactly. that does not look obvious that it has a vest in it, an air vest. It, it yeah. resonates very highly with me because it's such a simple design. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's it, very simple, yet very stylish. It has provisions, uh, it has provisions for expansion to accommodate the airbag. The protection is the same. As, as, on a, uh, as on a vest, because it is uh, just, uh, it's the same bag. Then, in addition to that, we have a ladies cut, which wow, is also this, this genre. Uh, it's a uh, sort of a bomber roadster jacket style. Can I just take a second to say thank yeah. you for making a woman's cut jacket? Yes, uh, we, I appreciate we, we, that. Thought, we thought it important. Uh, it's um, a very large demographic mm -hmm. and ever-growing de demographic. Oh, absolutely. And, and why shouldn't the lady? Why, why should the ladies squeeze into in, into something? So we have one style for now, uh, and it is it's quite quite popular. Then, in addition, to, uh, for uh, 
cruising riders and, and, and custom riders, we also have a, uh, a cut vest, that oh, same that same vest. sort of a leather vest. Right. So uh, you hear that, Harley riders? You can be safe. Yes. You can and be also cool looking. And also, there's access from the back, so you can put the colors on. Okay. So, That's great. Um, let's get down to brass tacks to note. If I fall off my bike. Yes wearing a Helite airbag system. What is it gonna protect? The system works whether it be jacket or vest. Right. It works and I go from the top down. First Please. of all, uh, it is ne extensive neck, neck protection. Good. Uh, when the vest deploys, it works in conjunction with your the bottom of your helmet. So it holds your head upright. It holds your head in track you like in traction okay that traction extends all the way down your back uh, we call this a turtle system uh, all right here's has, the the vest it has yeah. a sastec uh, level four impact protector in the back mm -hmm. and between your spine and this and, and the back protector the bag opens providing an impact impact uh, area so you're protecting neck and spine? Neck, neck and spine. It puts you into traction and then it extends down for pelvic protection. That's amazing. Uh, in the front, you also have the tubes going up the front for thorax, thorax impact protection. Uh, but a common injury uh, is a result from excessive organ movement yes. in, an, in an accident. Just like in a concussion, yep. uh, your organs are moving around in the chest cavity and our product is designed to compress your core mm. to counteract excessive movement. Ruptured spleen and other nasty items are usually the result of it. You stand a much better chance with a compressed core. It is uh, uh, effective enough that it, it almost knocks the wind out of you. We have a natural instinct when we get afraid to go <gasps> right and expand ourselves. And, and that is a natural instinct in order to uh, 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 preserve and compress the core. This is amplified externally through this vest. Fantastic. So I've fallen off my bike, the vest went off, it protected me. I get up, it's wonderful. What do I do now? I've got a deployed vest. It's the best thing I ever bought. So naturally, I want to keep it. You want to keep it. Is uh, it one use only? Or no. do we repack? This... We do not encourage it, yeah. but it is multi-use. Mm -hmm. Okay. In fact, we have demo items that have hundreds of demo poles on it. Uh, the, uh, the, the airbag is very um, tolerant toward, toward deployments. Uh, in respect to road rash, uh, leather stands up very well. Right. We use 600 denier Cordura, right. uh, which stands up quite well, but depending on speed, of course, anything can be destroyed. Oh, yes, of course. And um, uh, we do have uh, a repair. So, so we can, I can send, if I love my vest and it's not damaged, the airbag just went off and protected me, I can send it back to Helite and it'll get rebuilt. It, it, can, be, it can be rebuilt. Uh, however, we have a crash care warranty. 
So, mm -hmm. crash care warranty means you buy a Helite product within one year, if you get into an accident and the vest is destroyed, you will receive a new one. But it has to be accompanied by a police report. Sure. Uh, just. Uh, that's that's great. That yeah. is great. Yeah. So how can people find out about your product? We are available under helitemodo.com. That's H-E-L-I-T-E-M-O-T-O.com. Helitemodo.com. What a great product and a great interview. Can I yeah, thank you so thank much you for much coming by. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Enjoy enjoy this wonderful event. Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, I hope uh, they, it will never stop because it is uh, unique in the motorcycle. It is unique. I'll give you one of our cards. Thank you so much. Thank you. So, Jim, I know every year we look forward to seeing one person at the quail. One of our favorite people of all time. Rob Talbot, he's always got stories. Every bike has a story. And he and Bobby were there, and they had like, I don't know, six or seven bikes on display, I want to say. Mm -hmm. um, one of them was like a little tiny mini bike. Dude. Everything has a story. So uh, we went and talked to Rob and said, you know, what, what bikes have a story here? You know, when you asked me uh, earlier, when we were, what's my, what was my favorite bike at the show? My first thing I was going to say was all of Rob's bikes mm -hmm. and then the Carducci Dual Sport. Because uh, Talbot's bikes, not only they're all, they're just unique in their own ways, but if you know Rob, you know he's all about the story. And when you hear the stories, it really is, is a cool thing to make that, that connection. And not just that, he wanted to tell us about a Montessa that they saved from being destroyed. Yeah, literally had to winch it up out of the woods. Exactly. And the fact that he's saving bikes and the level of restoration that Bobby can do. It's amazing. And, and, and restoring being keeping as much stock or, or, or much original stuff as you can. Like on this, that bike we just talked about, the stickers on the gas tank were original. Right. It's like, that, how do you do that? They restored everything around the sticker. Exactly. But, you know, it's quite possible with doing these levels of restoration, you'll spend more money on the bike, then it's worth in the end. But that's the type of guy that Rob is. It's about the bike and saving the bike. So yeah, Rob Talbot, great guy, always has, has a story for us. Super generous guy, one of the nicest people you ever meet, kind, caring, and, uh, and he's all about the motorcycle. So here's Rob. So we're here with Rob Talbot of Moto Talbot Museum. You've got a bunch of bikes here. <clears throat> Uh, yes. Showing, and I asked you because you are a great storyteller, as we've learned. <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. I said, "What what bike has the best story?" And you brought us over to a nice little Montessa Lacrosse. So tell us about this bike. This bike, the reason that that this bike is special to me is in 1968 or 69, I rode with some local uh, Hodaka dirt bike guys and their last name was Baird. The father owned the Land Rover dealer in town. And I, I rose, raised and rode with, with the Baird brothers, and I didn't hear from them for 50 years. Two years ago, one of the Baird brothers called me and he said, you remember me? And I went, oh my Lord, of course I do. I had a Yamaha then. But they owned this bike. And he said, I'm selling my house 
I have a shed, a mini barn full of six, seven, eight bikes. Come look. I went and I was so amazed that I had sort of remembered this bike and some of the other bikes. I gave him a thousand bucks for seven bikes. We hauled five home and it looked so bad. Lisa, you cannot believe how the corrosion on the cases, the rust, but it had all the parts. So it sat for about a year and I decided that it was not going to be scrapped even though it looked like it should have been. Mm -hmm. So Bobby restored it. It took him a year. It had all the important parts and we saved this. We even saved the stickers on the original tank. The hand guard we saved. All these little bits that are so rare. I'd like to Polished say he did he did too good of a job. And he brought it this back. Looks and we brand saved new. it. Isn't that looks, so cool? It looks brand new. And this is like mirrors. We just and like the cases on the Spanish alloy polish I think better than oh, it's amazing. maybe even better than the Italian cases. So you saved it. Re chrome, painted. And if you saw this bike, you would not have believed that this could be saved. So, have you ridden a bike like this before? Would you have raced on or against this bike back in the day? If I raced it against, if I would have raced against it, it probably would have beat me. This was a heck of a bike. But I raced against all the bikes from 60, I started in 68, really got into it in 69, and raced up until early 73. My last race was in Prunedale at the Sand Pit. And after cool. and after racing hard pack in Colorado, oh I wasn't a fan oh of deep God. sand. Oh there was only one way to race, horsepower Wide and full open. throttle. And if you didn't, you just sank. But anyway, we saved a bike. And now, people can't believe it's the same bike because I have pictures of it. Here's something I find interesting. <clears throat> On dirt bikes, we're used to seeing the front wheel larger than the rear wheel. Yes. That doesn't seem to be the case here. Well, remember on the motocross, we always had the 19 and the 418 in the back. These 400, this is a typical rear. Mm -hmm. And this is fairly typical for the front. I used to race with the trials on the front and the knobby on the rear. And it was always maybe a 375, a little bit less on the front. 325. Yeah, 19 inch. It, but, you know, the flat trackers, of course, would run new giant tires on the front, maybe a 400. So, wait, that's a 19 and that is an 18? Well, this is... <clears throat> that says 19. Help me, I'm trying to see. So, 3.25, 19. That says 18, but can that we, looks... Can we see the front? Lisa, can we get it? 19, yeah. That, that would be standard. That 325. Looks, doesn't that... Uh, it's an optical illusion. That looks smaller to me than that. It's smaller. <laughs> It is, okay. That was typical, 325 and then the 400. And the bicycle handlebars, they look like bicycle handlebars. Yeah, that's another thing that's interesting. This is not, again, what we consider like a motocross bike no, with no. the handlebars across. These are coming back like kind a bicycle. Kind of like flat track or bicycle. Exactly. Compression release. But this is a jewel. We saved all of this. What does that knob do? Compression release. Oh, no, right up here. Oh, I'm sorry. Steering damper. Oh, wow. Crank it down, harder to steer. Faster you go, the more yeah. the more you want to crank down. And it's not like Usually hydraulic Usually that's a road nothing? bike type of thing, don't you think? Yeah. Steering yeah. dampers. But we were able to save all of it. Nice. Including the stickers. 
So when you have a survivor like this, it went in the museum. I said, we're not selling it. It's too beautiful. Well, it comes to, it's a local bike, too. And it has a That's local story. Yeah. Five miles away in the canyon. Yeah. The well, shed's like, demolished. The rest of the bikes are gone. Bulldozed. The house is sold. It's remodeled. That history is gone. And so much of your collection is local stuff, right? I love it. Well, we're local. You know? in, any other local kind of stories well, here today? I, I want to ask about the MV Augusta over here. Yes. The little one. What what are we looking at here? Because this is a uh, knock size bike over here. This is <clears throat> what the, is this? This little bike is the rarest. Is it a real bike? MV Augusta? Certainly here. Because this is like 18 inches off the ground. Like this is what in 1970, mid 70s, 74, 5, and 6. MV Augusta, as you remember, Phil Reed won the grand championship on an MB500 with four pipes. And he had the factory design this for his son. Wow, Phil okay, Reed that's Jr. why. Because it's got the race fairing and it looks like it's four it's, pipes coming out the back, but it's a little single cylinder motor. One into four. Wow. We believe only 21 of these were ever made in 1975 and six. In the world, so then. this is made for a child. It's made for a child. And what a cool kid's mini bike. Are you kidding? This is the best mini bike in this the world. This is the best one. So we don't, we know of only two to three in the world that exist today. I bought this from a friend that owned it since the early 90s. He offered it to me and we restored it in only three months to this condition. Wow. So, and all it's of your bikes. It's a four speed. Are, it's a four wait, speed. A four speed. On this, it's a it's a fifty cc. It's a fifty forty nine. So what's CC. top speed on this? Uh, I'm sure you've tried it out in the parking lot, right? Forty. I'm too big. <laughs> I'm too fat. It's just turbo. Wait, no. It's turbo. I know. Turbo. turbo. It's turbo. This is so rare. We we own one of these, and in the museum we have one on display. But it fires up, and it was made as an exact replica of the Grand Prix bike that Phil Reed. That's amazing. Isn't nice. that road in 76? And I want to remind everyone, if you're coming down to our part of the woods here in Carmel, Carmel Valley, go to uh, Moto Talbot Museum. And if, if you ask you'll for Rob, but you'll get the stories. But guess what? Not just Rob, because Bobby will tell you stories. Bobby Greg, will they're you. All, they all know the stories. Our docents are fabulous. We've tried. We've asked them questions. Yeah, and they know. I learn from the docents. Yeah. You know, I tell them stories, and they tell me we're always learning. Yeah. And that's the fun part. But I want to remind people, because that's my thing. When I go to an event or I go to a museum, yes. just remember, every bike has got a story. Everyone. And you need to ask. Right. So true. That is the trick. Well, thank you for sharing so this. So true. This is so rare. And by the way, it's awfully pretty. And it's beautiful. Isn't it? A little, yes, yeah. try it. A little metal flake of silver. Nice. We were able to source stickers in London and have them handmade. Because you don't buy stickers anymore. This bike doesn't exist. Stickers right. that small. Right. Anyway, great fun stuff. Thank you. And we're going to have to do another visit to the museum and Good. get more stories. Love to see you. Well, you're awesome. always getting new bikes in. Oh, right? yeah. Always all the time. Coming and going. We just built this one from a field find, total rust bucket. The R75.5. It was five. given to us. Uh, it could have gone to the dump. Bobby rebuilt it, and look at it now. And Bobby just fired it up a second yes. ago, and it hummed beautifully. Oh, yeah, he was quite proud, twisting the throttle. He rebuilt the whole motor because it had been seized. 
so we made a scrambler of it. Why not? Actually, I want to talk to him. I, I thought I heard a valve loose. There's a little rattle in there. <laughs> <laughs> you talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank, so, thank you so much. New bikes all the time. Great to speak with all you. All right. Thanks. Well, we couldn't just stop at two electric motorcycle companies. We had to do three. The fourth was the Harley Livewire, and they were really just doing demos of riding it, which it had a VR experience kind of thing. It was okay. It was, to me, more interesting just to see it up close and, you know, to be able to sit on it. But they really didn't have representatives there to answer questions. It was just one after the other people jumping on, twisting the throttle. But we did go over to Leto, which is a bike I hadn't heard of. And we went down to the quail the night before and they did a big reveal. So we got to see it. And this is another electric bike and it's being billed as a super bike. It doesn't look like a sport bike per se. I think it's just referring to the power, the torque, the numbers it's putting out. So we wanted to get uh, more information about the Leto. And we went there and we talked to Jean-Pierre and Pierre, who's the uh, founder, owner of Lito, and they are not French. They are Quebecois. They are Canadians. Fromage. So it's pretty cool to see that there's an electric motorcycle company in Canada, and this they've been around for 10 years. Didn't know. Yeah, and it's a great-looking bike. I mean, like Liza said, it doesn't look like a, a sport bike, like something you'd see on a track, but... Yeah, it'll still pull your arms off. And I've never seen more carbon fiber in a bike ever, I don't think. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, again, with a lot of these bikes, they're going really top end. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll poke a little hole in, in Harley, the live wire. They're charging a lot of money for their bike. It's going to be a production bike. It's a good-looking bike. But it looks like a standard bike. All these other companies we're talking about are extremely high-end designed and and, and parts um very customized, beautiful, high-end quality. Yeah, and I think there's a market for that. I think, you know, you have people that will pay that much for a car. I think you easily will have people that will pay, you know, forty to $80,000 for a beautiful, you know, custom-made motorcycle, whether it's gas or electric. So let's learn more about the Lito. Okay, so um, here's Emma with Motorcycles and Misfits, currently with Liza. Hello. Got a big treat right now. Now... What we've noticed so much at the Quail this year in 2019, there are a great deal more electric bikes than in previous years. Yep. Some very upmarket ones. Today, we are actually being joined by, in my opinion, one of the most exciting electric machines I've seen here. So we are with Jean-Pierre Legris, who is the founder of Lido Motorcycles, and Pierre Corrivier. Yes. Pierre Corrivier, who's the marketing manager. Um, gentlemen, I am so excited. Tell us I'm about your that, yeah. bike. Um, I guess let's start with you, Jean, because this is yes. your baby. Yes, actually, I, I, I found Lito 10 years ago. Okay. And when you go back 10 years ago, there was not that much electric motorcycle in the market. Right. There was, I yeah. think Zero was just starting yeah, out. Yeah, just starting out. They were making yeah, motorized bicycles. Yes. It was really... Yeah. But you started off with a vision yes, to I, make electric bikes. Yes, make electric bikes with five 
guiding principle okay. of leading edge innovation, yes. award-winning design, yes. top-of-the-line quality component and everything, best-in-class performances and exclusivity. Wow! From day one. Yes. So what, I'm, what we're presented with here, and I've said this over and over and over again on the podcast, I love electric bikes, but they've got to look like motorbikes it's got to be, this is a motorbike this is a real super bike sized bike you look at it we're going to post pictures on the website it takes your breath away it's a very exclusive bike i mean pierre just told me the price what's the price point for this bike it's eighty-two thousand, and so yeah you're aiming for a very exclusive yes. market yes. we don't yes. want to do compromise on anything you see at the quality over there, it's all carbon fiber. You have top of the line component on this motorcycle. I mean, you don't need more than that. And you look at it, it's beautiful. You fell in love with that motorcycle, but oh, there, there's nothing better than riding that bike. I, I'd, I'd like to point something out that yeah. also in this, really in this market where you have so many existing bikes from the last century, how do you build something that doesn't look like anything else? And doesn't look like any of the other electrics, but you still have to make batteries and everything fit. And to find a signature, a look of your own, that's also appealing to people. I was, I was people. going to comment on this string about the styling of it. Is that's, we, that's a challenge. We are not trying to look like any other motorcycle. Right. We right. celebrate our difference. It looks like an electric motorcycle. I'm yet to meet someone that looks at this that does not know intuitively this is an electric bike and with their jaw, their jaw open and uh. I tell you what really was the defining feature for me. You look at the bike and it's everything's modern. Everything's top of the line. You've got this big digital screen in what would be the fuel tank, an internal combustion bike. Yep. But right above that is an old steam gauge that looks like it belongs on a vintage bike. It's a wonderful anomaly. I mean, you have to understand that we born electric 10 years ago. Right. We're not trying to smoke and mirror show something or we born electric. We born into that electric innovation 10 years ago. Okay, so let's walk over to the bike and we're, we're, let's start at the front, which is as good a place as any, and work our way back and you can tell us some of the features. And I have a question because you don't sound like you're from these parts. Uh, from France? From No, from, no, from Canada. From, from Canada? Yes, we're French you're Canadian. Right, so, Canada is not a place I think of as uh, ingenuity and motorcycles coming out of. Mm -hmm. So this is exciting. Yeah. Are you you're the only player in Canada? We are the first uh, electric vehicle manufacturer in Canada. We exactly. are the first. But I mean, we ha we combine experience from all over the world. I started my career in Japan working for Honda. Then mm. I worked in France for Peugeot Citroën. Fre uh, Pierre has a tremendous experience working at Ford. So we know those big guys and we know how to build to build high quality product, high innovation product, and we put all, all of our knowledge into what we what what is we're doing right now. It's our passion. So my question for you is, which country in the world is the most accepting and embracing of this new technology okay. so we'll, is, we'll is it usa or is europe or uh, right now we're having customer out of canada united states france germany and up till kazakhstan we deliver so it's happening everywhere yes that's, right now that's the market great. is global yeah great well let's go let's go take a look at the yeah. bike okay so um the thing that i find 
most distinctive about the bike is just the sheer volume of carbon fiber. <laughs> Everything is carbon fiber. The bikini, the front fairing, the wheels, side skirts, side panels, whatever we call them. Yeah, everything. We call that center. We call that control center. The control center, the Which, propulsion yep. unit. Yep. Um, the only thing I see that isn't carbon fiber is the swing arm. Yep. But that's a beautifully cast aluminum piece. Um, wow. So, are you falling in love right now? I'm yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm just wondering who I'm going to have to beat up or steal from to pay from it because this is out of my pay scale. But it is an absolutely beautiful bike, and the quality really shows through. Um, you've got a lot of stuff with actually Lito written on it: the monoblock calipers, the discs themselves. Um, so we do a lot of co-branding, right? We're of a relatively small company. We are a small company. And so we do the, the engineering, you know, from the very beginning, uh, Jean-Pierre design, you know, you can see the dimensions and proportions and the requirements. And then we're not going to literally reinvent the wheel. If we need a good wheel, we write our specs and we talk to potential suppliers. We co-develop together the right wheel. Right. And you know, and then it's easy to co-brand. And then you, you so Rotobox Lito and Behringer brakes with right. Lito. And so Behringer yeah. brakes is very recognizable. Olin's forks and shock, of course. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We have motor gadget, a... um, you know, instrumenta um, instrumentation, and we have uh, Rizoma controls. Okay. Um, that you know fit this bike. You know, and again, perfectly. again, I mean, everything was not created in one day. We oh. born ten years ago, and it took time to to get the brand recognition from those big players like Olin's, Behringer, Rotobox in the industries. And right now, we're partnering with them to for them to tailor the solution to our needs. So we're working together and integrate their solution into our bike. So, a um, couple of questions I have. It, there's a cooler of some description. Is that liquid cooling for the engine or is it oil cooling for the transmission? It's water cooling for the engine. It's water cooling for the engine. Okay. Or, the, or the batteries or the engine? The batteries. The, the, the motor. motor. Okay. There's another cooling system for the batteries. We design uh, 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 air cooling for the batteries and for the electronic as well. It's part of the, it's part of the small changes we made. You know, the num numerous changes that, you know, on Gen 2, you know, the air intake here for the charger that right, sits right above the battery. Um, there is a extra uh, piece of, um, you know, the um, intake for air down below that will, you know, allow airs, air to come right through underneath the battery and exit at the bottom end. And, and what kind of charging is capable on this? What, in what terms kind of, of char and time? Kind of, no, what kind of charging do you use? Oh, level one and two okay, for this generation. Two. Yeah, yeah, right. for this 20, the series of 20 bikes. Nice. Yeah. So it's a limited production bike. So let's right. talk about performance. I've just given you 83,000 bucks of my money. I'm taking delivery of my brand new leader. Now, I'm, I'm a big fan of big power. I've been riding liter bikes for many, many years now, as both Jim and Liza. Are we going to be disappointed with the power output? No. Not at all. No. Okay, very good. Tell us about when it. When your spouse is so unhappy, you can get away at 0.60 in three seconds. Right. <laughs> now, I should also point out that um, one of our guests on my podcast is Richard Hatfield, 
who of course makes the Lightning LS218. It's an extremely high performance bike. Yes. Is this equivalent or is it quicker? It's a different. It's a different use. I mean. Right. Of course. I mean the LS is a pure sport bike. This is a little more sitting upright. But in terms of torque, I mean, this is this is gonna be a thrilling bike to ride. Of course, uh, I mean, it's electric power. Right, so the power yes, is it's right a, there. Yes, seamless acceleration from zero to hundred to uh, hundred twenty miles per hour. I mean, seamless acceleration. It's bluffing because you don't have the, the noise or the the odors from other other uh, gas powered bike. But I mean, it's electric, so you have the same kind of feeling. Yes. And you said you you put a transmission on it. So how many speeds? How many gears? It's a very vari variable transmission okay. that allow us to get to reach a very high top speed without compromising the acceleration. And that would keep the top speed. Yeah, top speed is a little bit over 120 miles per hour. Okay. And you see the configuration and the front fairing. It's not it's not meant to be a, 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 a racer bike. No. You look at it. It's a power cruiser. Well, and. That's a very, very smart market to go for because, to be yes. honest with you, yep. the kind of people who are going to afford this bike are a little older yes. and perhaps they want to lie down as on a Ducati Panigale. Or a Diaval is what I would compare this to. Exactly. It's more of a Diaval market. It's a little more upright. It's a little more comfortable for the older crowd who, let's face it, can actually afford it. Um, so it looks. Oh, like hold on. He's he's pressing buttons and something moved. What's happening over there, Pierre? What's happening? So this isn't just uh, in an orgy of carbon fiber for the sake of carbon it fiber. It is an orgy of carbon fiber. It is, but, but you're not, not, not just that. Okay, okay, very good. Yeah, because you know batteries are heavy, so yep. you want to compensate, and we you know with wheels we save weight. We save 25 pounds or so. It unsprung rotating mass makes a big difference. But this bike, unlike the Lightning, right, which right. has, which is a great bike, sport bike, you know, right. but performance bike. This is, as we were just said, it's more of a, a power cruiser, and it's full of exclusive features. One of which, for example, is this seat that adjusts almost four and a half inch. So he's pressing a button on the handlebars, and the seat height is moving Correct. up and down. Does Sitting on it, riding. Well, the the seat is cantilevered out directly from the frame behind the tank. It's just floating in air. So this adjusts to the rider's you know morphology. You know if you're tall, but it also creates a different riding position. So this is a more laid back, quiet riding position. Right. And you go like this, and all of a sudden you're going to get into oh, like this. You're going to get into much more of a sporty canyon carving. Position. Absolutely, because you're higher, you're, you're higher, leaning further and you're forward, and yep. you can start doing That's the counter right. steering. Right. But to me, and I'm going to go back to this because I just find it so charming. This LCD very, very high tech. Yes, and in conjunction, yeah. and I know it's not low tech, but it's just such a traditional style. Yeah. Gauge. A lot of digital uh, features hidden on it, but that, yes, but it's it's the analog connection. Makes it feel real. Right. It makes it feel, you know.
And that's the thing that we we must address with motorcycles. You don't buy a motorcycle from here, it's bought from your heart. So we have to have a connection with the bike. And that's a connection. To me, this gives us a, a more tangible connection. We're on the same page. Uh, yes, we are simpatico. Yes. Yes. What a bike. This is absolutely... And then on our high-tech side, and we've got this uh, five-inch LCD yeah, touch you, screen. Could you fire this up again for me so oh, I can see what we're... I guess it died. It's slow, yeah. So you've got got booting up, but the typical navigation type thing, right, statistics, right, right. power mode selection, regen mode selection, okay, and a proprietary software developed by Jean-Pierre's team. It's called Safe Range. So using the nav system, you put your destination. Computer will tell you what mode you should be in to make it. Okay. I see. That's. And that's the game that everyone getting into electric has to learn. Everyone says, well, how far can it go between charges? And we all know. It depends on how you ride it. How do you know what that formula is? So the bike will do that formula for you. So your final destination and the, bar, the, the bike is taking char, charge of everything. Great. So the most important thing is the basic, um, the basic screen. How do I go to basic screen? basic screen is the instant recognition of how much energy you have used okay. and how much you are using right now so as you twist the throttle it's not really a throttle anymore when you think of it right no it's a it, it's, there is a, a it's a real start real yeah, yeah, technically yeah. that's what it is so as you demand you you know you, you see exactly if you're using 25 or 75 percent of the power available uh, for, for the motor and then this keeps track of what's left so it's easy um and you know what, what is a good range for this bike if most of the misfits we ride in a spirited way we've charged that bike overnight it's got a full charge yeah and we like we like riding pretty quick um not necessarily flat out but we're we're experienced riders with spirited riders. What's a good range for this bike? If you're flat out with it, you, you'll reach over 120 miles. That's great. That's pretty yeah. good. Okay. We call it 180 range, which would be a healthy mixture of city where you regenerate, you benefit from the regenerative braking and, and some highway. Right? That, so the environment makes a huge difference. As you know, if you're on highway, always on high speed versus city stop and go and the big question with a level two charge so you've just got level one and two right now correct so on a level two charge i've just finished my 118 mile ride how long am i going to have to charge it before i can go out again five hours four. five hours charge on a level two but i'm sure you're probably working on a higher level charge too of course everyone is yeah yeah no we'll have well, we're gonna have dc charging yeah. soon yeah okay very good and dc charging seems to be the way forward um what kind of charging would somebody need for this a standard j plug for a it's a j plug same the one same for uh, teslas and Correct, and it happens here, right? Which here. serves as a glove box. You can put an iPad in here, pair of glove, your wallet, and everything, which is wonderful when you go riding, right? It you never know what to do with your stuff. It reminds me of the Gold Wings. It does, yeah. and you yeah. know, it's yeah. an appropriate place to put it. I yes. found that a lot of electric bikes, traditionally, this is the fuel tank. This is where you fill it up. So this is an appropriate place to plug the charger in. But it, you should sit on this lighter. It's quite extraordinary to sit on. Yeah. I am in love. 
Oh, you're, oh, yeah. you're breaking my heart, Jean-Pierre. Oh, you really are. You're absolutely breaking my heart. This is a romance that can never be. Well, I could win the lottery tomorrow. So, everything starts with a dream. That's true. So, where do people go to learn more about your bikes? Uh, they go directly online, litomotorcycle.com. That's L-I-T-O. Yeah, L-I-T-O, motorcycles.com, yeah, yeah L-I-T-O, yeah. And you're selling in the States, you're selling anywhere. Yeah, it's street legal in the States, in Canada, it's, and we're having customers right now in Canada, United States, France, Germany, and up to Kazakhstan as well. <laughs> Kazakhstan, you're killing me. <laughs> wow, that's beautiful. Well, thank you very much uh, for the interview. I appreciate it. And congratulations. Uh, it's a beautiful bike. And I know you've been working on this a long time. It's our 10th year's anniversary to today. So we born electric 10 years ago. We're, I mean, and it's we're far from prototyping. We're real production guys. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Thanks. So another thing happened at the Quail this year. I received an award. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I did. That's pretty cool. It's, it's right there. It's uh, okay. Yeah, it's right there. <laughs> it's between Bosley's ashes and a custom carved dildo. That uh, lights up. That was presented to us with our logo on it. <laughs> and that's flanked by some gin. And is that an evil Knievel? No, it's a Batman motorcycle. And a Batman motorcycle. Yeah, and gin. Yeah. All the things we collect here. Gifts, really. They're all like gifts. Um, so we were we re did record this ceremony and and true to form I think it was you know the friend of the AMA award meant a lot to me I don't think it's meant to be a huge award it's like here's a gold star on your forehead thanks for doing a good job mm -hmm. but no I had to turn it into an event yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep and I got all my friends there rallied around and I you know I got a uh, surge from city bike there to take pictures and also, I had to have an AMA Hall of Famer, so Craig Vetter's family got him in a golf cart, rushed him down there to stand next to me during the award, and it did mean a lot to me. It was really cool. The only, the only thing is that as we started the presentation, somebody started up one of their bikes to you know, that was on display. And then another person did gets a little out of control. So keep your volume down, but I just wanted to share it because it was a special moment for me. And the nexus I had mentioned earlier uh, to the Guggenheim is Craig Vetter. Craig Vetter famously ah. had his bike, the uh, Triumph Hurricane, was featured in the Guggenheim exhibit. Yeah, Art of the Motorcycle. Art right? of the Motorcycle. Way to bring that around. Back in the day. So, yeah, so if you don't know Craig, definitely check him out. He's a fascinating guy and super cool local. And that bike is on display in the AMA Hall of Fame Museum. Well, I think if I wait for the bikes to stop, then we'll probably be here all day. So uh, I want to thank all of you for being here to help me with a special recognition. Uh, the AMA board uh, gives out a number of awards each year uh, for people who have gone above and beyond to assist the AMA and promote the AMA. And it's our friend of the AMA award. And Liza Miller has done so much through her podcast and through her uh, garage to promote the AMA and come to Vintage Motorcycle Days every year and, and uh, promote that event to support the AMA Motorcycle Hall of Fame. Uh, our board of directors would like to recognize her and on behalf of the uh, members of the AMA and the board of directors, Liza Miller, uh, I present to you the friend of the AMA.
know that we had, so we had Emma and Nock and Jim and I, and then some of our other friends like Bex made an appearance and Segalane. Um, Michael was there. Yeah, Chris was there. But at one point, uh, I believe you and Nock and Segalane got together and we're talking about some of your favorite bikes there. And uh, yeah, I think we'll just make that the end. It was a good little recap to it. We'll share that here. So, oh, my favorite bike so far is a Triumph Bobber. Yeah. Uh, that's custom out, a lot of chrome, beautiful blue paint. It's just a very clean. You got photos of it? I do. Just a clean, great example of a bobber. Uh, then I just ran into Carducci, who make the uh, that big twin. The Harley uh, dirt bike? The big twin dirt bike yeah. that Tony Guerra um, is going to be riding. Cool. So they're getting it sorted out to do the Baja 1000. Nice. So we, that, that bike's been here at the Quail for a number of years, and it's been refined every year. So talking to them and getting all that sorted out, that was kind of, so that was really cool to see. Other than that, like every year, it's just tons of really clean vintage bikes. Yeah. What do you think? Well, there's a lot of sparkling and glittery Ducatis to, uh, to look at, which are wonderful. Yeah. But I have a little uh, little preference for the CBs. There are quite a lot on display right now. And my, four bike was a C- my first bike was a CB400 Super Sport. Oh, that's awesome. And I see some CB750. And some of them are in their juice, as we say in French. Yeah. So a lot of <laughs> things to be able to admire. And lovely sunny day for that. Yeah, it is. It's... It got really nice out here, didn't it? Dude, we thought it was going to be like pea soup fog yeah. coming out here. And, always well, sunny. we were here last night, and they were covering the bikes with tarps and wrapping them in plastic and all that. Yeah. And shoot, we came out this morning, and it's been gorgeous from the get-go. So there you go, Jim. It's the Quail Motorcycle Gathering 2019. It's done. It's in the books. And the empanadas they had were awesome. <laughs> yeah, forgot to the mention food. the food, but they feed you, too. Great time. The one thing we learned is there's always something else happening that we need to find out. There's there's things happening that you need to be in the know to go to. And we're definitely going to go. I think you said you want to do the ride next year. Yeah, they have a ride uh, event the day before that you know encompasses a few different things that not everybody gets to do all the time. So that might be something we're checking out. Right. I don't think I mentioned one of the qualifying factors to show your bike at the Quail needs to be a running bike, except for... Um, historical bikes that are like race bikes, stuff like that. Yeah, probably like those GI Joe collection bikes. Uh, no, I think those all ran. All those. I know one of them ran because they pulled yeah, that freaking machine army, gun yeah. part out. Yeah, that's right. All those army bikes run. Um, almost all the bikes run. Like I said, without with the exception of some significant bikes like race bikes i will say real quick one of the fun things is at the end of the show is watching people leave the show trying to ride some of these bikes oh, yeah. through the crowd it's pretty funny so they have a, a ride that you can buy a ticket to join with all these historical uh, bikes mm-hmm. it's pretty cool yeah, and you may be able to find your way on laguna seca's track so oh god that sounds so cool so next year we're gonna do it we're gonna do it bigger eat more empanadas I highly recommend if you have not been to the quail gathering, put it on your calendar next year. It truly is a special event and come on, come on up yeah, to, you could, to Carmel. Yeah. Plan a vacation around it. Cause the roads are great. The weather's great. I mean, the weather's usually great. So yeah, you could, you could plan a whole, a whole vacation around this thing. You do the, Oh, here you go. You do the Talbot museum on Friday. You do the quail on Saturday, and then you come hang out with us at the garage and stay for the podcast on Sunday. And pie and sausage in between all that. And oysters. <laughs> pie, sausage, and oysters. 
live to ride, ride to eat. That's our motto. So that's a wrap for this this year's uh, Quail. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you enjoyed all of those interviews as much as we did doing them. On that note, ready to wrap up. Thanks again. This is Eliza. Make it Jim. And we are out of here. Cool, cool. Cool, cool. Thank you.